Crowd Corner as we recap what happened over the weekend for Charlotte FC on the pitch against FC Cincinnati. And uh, it feels like we've done a bit of the same show here the last couple of weeks, Jess, because it's a scenario where Charlotte FC gets two to the good, uh, two spectacularly scintillating goals from Carol Schwiderski. And then, unfortunately, they don't get the second half to match. And I think, you know, if you were to ask me before the contest, would you be comfortable coming away with one point against the Supporters Shield leaders? I think I would, but after seeing the way the match played out, again, it just feels a little bit dispiriting and unsatisfying when you had a two-goal lead and unfortunately weren't able to hold it. Yeah, I completely agree with you. The more you think back at it before that game, if you'd have said, hey, Charlotte's going to tie 2-2 with the Supporters Shield leaders, I'd have thought, okay, that's pretty cool. That shows that we were able to perform at the high level. That shows that we were able to, you know, show resilience. Unfortunately, because of the way the game went, because of the great start that Charlotte FC got up to, because they put their front foot forward and had that momentum, took a 2-0 lead after two very high-quality goals from Karol Svidersky, it's upsetting because of the gap again between the first and the second half and the inability to put a game to bed. It just feels like more points that this side has unfortunately left on the table that again closes that gap and that opportunity to hope to proceed into postseason play. I, I want to talk about Carroll because it, it's weird looking at the way his first half looked. I mean, he's somebody who literally took the bull by the horns and came out with an incredible couple of touches on the two goals. But then you look at the second half and there was one that, and again, us sitting here in the booth, you know, looking at it down there, it's a lot harder on that pitch, as you know, but, you know, just gets a little bit of air underneath the ball on that 1v1 with the keeper. It ends up being his third goal and a hat trick. And maybe that game is a little bit different because uh, they get the equalizer on the next instance of play. And then the other one that hit the post, I mean, he could have had four or five on the game and, and had himself a quite of a, a performance, but at the other thing, other part of it too, Jess, I'd look at it and I say, look, where's everybody else? I, I understand that you want your striker to carry the offense, but you talked a lot about how much Roman Celentano did not look comfortable handling the ball. I honestly feel like they needed to pepper Celentano as much as possible and from more angles than just with our number nine. Yeah, I think firstly, the two goals from Karas Widerski, elite level. We've talked about those. It's clear that he is able to score world-class goals and that may be why some of the fan base gets so frustrated because he scores the goals that you don't expect anyone to score and then unfortunately isn't able to come in clutch on certain opportunities. I think maybe the hat trick was playing on his mind a little bit. Completely understand that mental side of a player where, you know, you want to make sure you're able to get that hat trick. You want to make sure you're able to find the back of the net and maybe you start to overthink those opportunities. But the one-on-one, -on -one, I know you said put some height on it. That could have been an option. But you just got to put it either side of the goalkeeper. We talked a lot about Salentano's positioning, his inability to come off the line. Salentano was backing up, backing up, backing up. When a goalkeeper doesn't come 100%, that makes the goal look so much bigger because he isn't closing down that angle. There should have been a better look for Carroll rather than hitting it straight at the goalkeeper. Good save from the goalkeeper. But unfortunately, you look back at that moment as the turning point in the game. I know Latanzio spoke about it in his presser too. 
If you make that game 3-1, I don't know if Cincinnati has the fight back to equalize at that point. I think that three points on the cards for Charlotte FC if that chance is in. Do you, do, were you satisfied with the other offense that was created or at least the, the chances that were created by other players? Because I think that's, again, a, an equal part of this point is that, yeah, you put some of it on, on Carroll, but I also feel like it, it was almost singularly through him for a lot of the contest. Yeah, right now I'm trying to think of another player really having much of an opportunity in front of frame, right? I know we talked about Brant Bronico a little bit in the first half and the fact he was able to get into dangerous areas in and around the 18. I know Arfield did a couple of penetrating passes. Was Westwood as good with his distribution in this one? Maybe not. Were our wing plays a little bit quiet? Yeah. I think we had a couple of transition moments when uh, Camille and Merrim came on the field. One area, though, I think we didn't capitalize on again, set pieces. You think about the corners we had, free kicks we had. It feels like we don't maximize our aerial presence. We've got the likes of Derek Jones. I know Jones came off injured, huge loss, by the way. But when you have Tui Loma come on onto the bench, utilize someone like that in the air. We know how good Guzman Kuruho can be in the air. At times, I don't know how you feel, Will, but it feels like we don't swing those balls into the box and give our big bodies up into the 18 an opportunity to find a shot. I'm with you. I think there's there's a lot that can still be done with our set-piece service that uh, utilizes our best options height-wise. Uh, you, you bring up Tuiloma, and it, it has me kind of thinking about this part of it because one of the things I've always kind of channeled from you is is you're very big on making sure that the back four stays as consistent as possible. And unfortunately, because of injury, attrition, and otherwise, we've just not had that. I almost feel like Christian Latanzio is going to pick one back four and stick with it. Now, that might not be possible this weekend because of the availability of Derek Jones, but I think the the continued siphoning in and out of, of trying to find the right mix, I understand he wants to mix up the squad and, and create competition, but... I think one of the things that at least helped our defense last year is that, you know, in those key moments, you at least had a lot of the same cast of characters there. And I think it's it's messing with the chemistry. And it's also created a bit of a hole on the, the right defensive side because I think about Wednesday and I think about Saturday, both equalizing goals came from penetration down that defensive right side, the offensive left side. And right now, I'm, I'm kind of wondering about it being just because of that, it's been like a bit of a revolving door for Charlotte FC. Definitely. I drum on about this topic just because as a former goalkeeper, I understand how difficult it can be to adjust to different defensive personnel. Different players have different characteristics, have different tendencies, have different abilities, different willingness to attack, different strengths and weaknesses. We saw it with Jan Sobaczynski coming in. I think Jan has quality ball control. We know he's got great distribution. We know he's not afraid to use his body to create blocks. But we also know that Jan isn't as quick as other defensive players on this roster. When you're a goalkeeper, when you're a defensive unit, you have to adjust to these different things. And if you can't have a consistent back line, if we're constantly changing, we're not able to play with the same fluidity, the same confidence, the same understanding, the same sort of almost telepathic communication, if you might, where you know how the other players are going to act because you have so many minutes with them. The revolving door analogy is just so accurate for this defensive line. When you think about it, 
We've had 19 different backline combinations in different, like, not just the personnel, but where they're playing, because we've seen different players be utilized in different positions along the backline. You look at Tui Loma, who's been a fullback, who's been a centre-back. You look at Derek Jones, who's been a centre-back and a defensive midfielder. It's a struggle. And unfortunately, we have the worst events in the league. And you can't help but think that it may be entwined with the fact that we probably... I'm putting it out on a whim here because I'm not sure how often this is recorded, but have the most different defensive partnerships in the league. I can't see another team that has had that many different defensive lineups. It's a scenario, and and you and I talked about this on Friday, about maybe there does need to be some simplicity brought to the table. Uh, again, I'm not trying to tell Crystal Townsend how to do his job. He's more more qualified than I am, and I'm I'm looking at obviously this all being on the players ultimately again because those are the ones that determine the worth and determine the result and i think that that needs to be put forth in in at least in the context but i think at the same time i, I feel like it'd be easy for any one of these players to feel like they are kind of not i want to say a deer in the headlights but almost kind of scrambling because of the fact that it, it does seem like there is a bit of a interchangeable nature of the way this squad has been put together and you know who knows if maybe the current state of play going into league's cup allows them for some time to maybe make some of those type of changes landmark wise if they do get a little bit more of an extended break i mean i think we all would rather see charlotte fc go through and potentially compete for a trophy but i'm wondering if that break might even just be something for them to kind of go back to the drawing board and at least try to figure out, okay, how is the best way to utilize this squad over the final 10, 11 matches? Yeah, I think we need to think about that because like we've talked about, I know I had a big rant about Open Cup and how I wish we'd taken Open Cup a little bit more seriously with our lineup, but went this League's Cup with how close we are to playoffs, but also how few results we are away from dropping out of the playoff push. If we can't pick up wins soon, it's going to start to become a more unattainable goal to reach the playoffs, unfortunately. So it's about the balance of, would we love a League's Cup victory? Yes. But do I think that the time away from MLS may be helpful to allow yourself an opportunity to adjust, an opportunity to regroup, an opportunity to potentially regain fitness it feels like every time we have our full squad back we lose somebody key I know Derek Jones was just rumored to be tightness but still a little bit of a concern there I think DJ was a huge miss we know that Enzo's out there's a lot of things that need to happen in the league's cup break in order to ensure that Charlotte FC is able to get that playoff berth that's been promised to this fan base but I think the biggest thing before league's cup break is a result against Montreal because if you go into that league's cup break with a defeat, with another draw, not knocking on that door of coming into that ninth position with three points, then I worry about the mindset of this team and the chance that they may have if they're not able to pick up points against Montreal. And and honestly, Jess, looking at the schedule ahead, each of the next couple of contests, in fact, each of the next five at least, are against teams that are in the playoffs and even some more who are in there comfortably. Montreal is in a playoff position. Miami is not in a playoff position, but they are going to have Lionel Messi in that match, presumably uh, in his first MLS match at home. You have LAFC who comes to the table as well on August the 26th. Orlando, who we did beat on the road, but is comfortably in a playoff spot. 
it's not like it's going to get any easier for Charlotte FC over the next month and a half. No, and this is why we emphasized so much getting three points against teams that were below us in the table, the New Yorks, the, the, uh, I'm having a mind mess, but those teams that were in and around us were so important to pick up points in because now we put pressure on ourselves against these bigger oppositions, against FC Cincinnati, against Orlando, against teams up in the top parts of the table. It makes it a harder challenge, but I will say, and we talked about this in the pregame show, it does feel like Charlotte FC is able to raise to the occasion more against those stronger oppositions versus playing down to the level of weaker opponents. Charlotte FC at Montreal trying to get that first Canadian win. Uh, they were able to get themselves a draw when they played up at Toronto, their first Canadian point. We'll hope to try and see if we're talking about three points on Friday, and we'll preview that matchup a little later on this week once we hear from Christian Latanzi. We'll get an update on uh, DJ's condition and also uh, whether or not Charlotte FC can maybe be expecting some more potential additions over the course of the next couple of weeks during the summer transfer window. Jess, have a good week. We'll talk later on. Thanks so much. You as well. That is Crown Corner. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and listen to Crown Corner wherever you get your podcasts.